welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics to help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Hello, and welcome to Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston, and I'll be your host. Today, I have with me Ellie Murdoch, one of my colleagues, because sometimes two tax nerds are better than one. Thanks, Ali. And I understand today we're talking about different ways we can incentivize employees through issuing shares or some interest in your company. Yeah, yeah. It's actually been a, a really hot topic in the market over the last couple of years. As employers have been looking for different ways to incentivize their staff without having to give out higher salaries and costly perks. There's so much, only so much as business can afford an increase in salary. And so where the labor market is so tight for talented people, employees have to think of other ways to keep people in their business. But of course, sometimes this doesn't work. And maybe you just need to accept that your business is not the right fit for the staff member and vice versa. But in my view, if a staff member is willing to leave your business for an unknown employer for a small increase in pay, but they were probably not likely to stay anyway. Sometimes it can be a large increase that you simply cannot match, and this may be where some form of investment in the business may be a good incentive for them to both stay with you and, in fact, keep helping you grow your business even more. And that's what we're talking about today, how this can work for both you and your business and your employees. But what you need to understand, first and foremost, is that issuing shares or options or giving incentives can actually trigger a tax bill for either you or even for your employee. So it's better to understand that upfront. It's better for your employee to understand that upfront. Otherwise, if you hit them with a tax bill they weren't expecting, they're not going to be happy and it's actually going to act as a disincentive. So what options are available to employees wanting to incentivize their staff and retaining key members? Yeah. We do a lot of advice and work on employee share schemes and employee option schemes. And they are schemes where what you might do is issue the employee, you might issue with them shares upfront. They might be issued at a discount. They might be issued at market and they might be conditional on certain criteria. There might also be an option scheme, which is where you issue the employee an option to buy shares sometime in the future. And that might be triggered by a certain event. It might be triggered by meeting some sort of criteria. So there are short employee share scheme and employee option scheme. So that's one that we see a lot of. There's also the option to issue the employee shares, but then the company or the owner finances them buying those shares. So that way the employee doesn't have to go out to the bank to borrow money to buy shares if they're going to be buying it at market, at market value. You might even do a combination of those two. Maybe you're going to give them a discount, plus you're going to vendor finance them, which is getting more complicated again. You could also issue them partly paid shares. That's where you're issuing them for market value today, but they're not paying the full amount now. So they'll be registered on the company register as having 
X number of shares, but only paid up to a certain amount. And those shares will be paid when the company makes a call in the future on that payment. And we'll talk a bit more about the pros and cons of those later. And then there's a phantom share arrangement. And that's where instead of actually giving any equity, you're giving some sort of incentive scheme to your employees, but it's really almost like a bonus, but it's linked to the share price. So that's going to incentivize an employee to help you build the share price because then they're going to get effectively their, their sort of bonus. Yeah, And that yeah. sounds like a lot of options and it could be quite overwhelming for employees. Where would they look to even get started? Yeah, I think that that's the thing. They've got a bunch of things that you really should consider when you look at, you need to first of all, think about what you're trying to achieve. So if you can break down into five categories, and I'll give you five because it's an easy number to remember, five things for you to contemplate before you even start to really talk about what sort of scheme might be put in place. And one is, who do you want to incentivize? So who? Who are they? Are they the key people in your business? Are they just, is it one person? Is it all your employees? Is it all the employees that have been there for X number of years? Who is it? Number two, is how many shares, how many shares are you willing to issue? Because every time you issue shares, you dilute your shareholding. So are you willing to give up 50% of your company? Are you willing to give up 5%? What does that feel like? And that's going to help design a program. The criteria. So we know who we're going to give them to. We know how many we're willing to give up. But what are the criteria for the people getting them? Do they have to meet as service standards, I have, do I have to have been employed by you for so many years? Is it only for certain seniority? Is it based on performance? Is it for everybody? So is there a criteria or is there a timing point at which they'll get those shares? And then number four is the price paid. So what will they pay to get it? Is it market value, current share price? Is it going to be a discount? Is it nothing? And then there is, what do you want them to have? So number five is, are they going to get access to capital gains or just, and dividends or just capital or just dividends? What do you want them to have access to? Share of profits, benefits on the sale of the shares, if you eventually sell the company. So what is it that you want them to have? And that will also help design the scheme that's right for you. So once you've made these decisions or at least have a pretty good idea of what they are, then it's time to get tax and legal advice on it because those are both considerations you must take into account. And surprisingly to a lot of business owners that just issue shares and don't think about it, there is often tax if you issue shares to an employee for a discount. And there's also legal requirements to be fulfilled. One is the constitution of the company and what you can and can't do. And the other one is the corporation's law. So definitely that's the point that you do need to go and get formal advice and get the scheme properly structured. Yeah. So we know when we give benefits to employees, generally these can be taxed by the ACO under fringe benefits tax provisions. And in the case of employee share and option schemes, a benefit would mean that the ACO would not let shares issued for a discount go untaxed. No, that's exactly right. And are there any concessions and structuring opportunities for employers to consider? It's, it's kind of like we planned this, Sally. That's a great question. <laughs> so that's right. So basically, to the extent you do anything at a discount, it's a benefit to your employees. They're getting something for nothing. I mean, even if they're paying for the shares. So a tax bill to the employee is not going to be fun, but there are a couple of ways to minimise or to completely 
or defer or avoid that tax. Now, it's not or it's not if you get them shares for free. So let's go run through some of the concessions that your advisor should definitely consider with you. One is the startup concession. So this is a concession that where the company qualifies under the definition of a startup and where the employees are issued shares at only a 15% discount to market or where they're given an option to buy shares and the exercise price in the agreement is the current share price or higher. So if I explain that a little bit more, so that's like saying to you, Ellie, you can buy shares, but in two years' time, maybe I've got other criteria when we do A, B, and C, and when you buy them, it'll be a today's share price or a price higher. And why would you want to take those on? Well, you would want to take those on if you think my share price is going to go up. You'd go, that's great. That is an incentive for me because I get to buy those shares and effectively almost at a discount. So practically, that's what it achieves. To qualify though, the company cannot be listed on a stock exchange and all companies in the corporate group have to have been incorporated for less than 10 years. Doesn't really sound very startup, does it? And the aggregated turnover needs to be less than 50 million. So it's a pretty broad brush and it sort of applies to a lot of private businesses that might be considering this. But remember, it's only a 15% discount. It's not free shares. So then there's the taxed upfront scheme. So this is when you're accepting that the shares are issued at a discount and there is tax to pay. What this does is means that if you qualify, you might be able to get a reduction of the taxable benefit by $1,000. Now, that doesn't seem like much if you're giving big, big benefits or big share prices. It might not seem like much at all. But if you're only giving small share parcels out to employees, then it might actually make a big difference to if they've got any tax to pay. Now, for this to apply, there's an employee income test to be passed, plus the scheme needs to meet certain requirements. And one of these requirements is that the scheme, the shares must be offered on a non-discriminatory basis to at least 75% of your Australian permanent resident employees with at least three years of service. So it's almost like a blanket scheme for your certain tenure employees. And I don't see a lot of those small private companies. I tend to see more private companies wanting to select the employees they want to issue the shares to. And then the third one is the tax deferred scheme. And this can work really well. So what to consider is that this defers any potential tax payable by the employee to a later point in time. So is measuring is when there's a deferred taxing point. So the scheme's drafted in, in a way that the tax bill happens when the appropriate time happens under that scheme. So the rules can be drafted so that employees have a risk of forfeiting their shares or options or, or and, they can be restricted to disposing of them. So if you can put clauses in the scheme that says these are still at risk, the shares and the options you hold, you may not get them, you may lose them, and or you've got to have had, you have restrictions on disposing of them, then potentially you can defer the tax point until they no longer exist, those requirements. So there's a lot in this tax deferred scheme. We're not going to go through it. It's just being aware that whilst we're not getting rid of the tax bill for the employee, we're kicking the can down the road. And look, you could even structure it in a way that you kick that can down the road until a point that the employee might even have some capital return on those shares or good dividend that helps ease the pain of the tax bill. 
And Sally, you mentioned financing shares through giving a loan. What are some of the tax implications with those? Yeah. So if you're a business and or if the company basically says to the employee, okay, well, you're going to buy shares at market value, then but the company says, but you're going to owe me the money. I'm just going to spot you the, the money. Now, sometimes this might be interest-free, and in many cases, it would be more incentive to do it interest-free. So here it is. Here's your shares, and I'm going to lend you the money, and you'll pay me back when you get dividends or at some future point. There can be tax implications to that. So one can actually be under the fringe benefits tax if it's not structured the right way. And the other one is we you'll keep hearing this through podcasts. It could be considered a Division 7A loan. So any private company owners probably heard their accountant, their tax advisor mentioned Division 7A. And basically that's a loan to a shareholder or the shareholder's associate. Now the first loan you give to an employee is not likely to trigger Division 7A because they weren't a shareholder when they got the loan. However, subsequent loans are likely to be a Division 7A problem. So there are ways to do these things, but you still also need to be aware of any financing to shareholders, shareholders, associates, or any benefits given to an employee can trigger a tax point either for the company or for the employee. Yeah. And the last one you mentioned was partly paid shares. None of those why? Yeah. So partly paid share is basically issuing the share at market value. So say the shares are worth $20 today. The face value or what I tell, you know, the agreement says they're $20 shares, but you're only paying them up to say a dollar. And then when the company makes calls, then the employee is required to start making those appropriate payments on those shares. Now, Division 7A won't apply provided any calls made are paid. It's not considered a loan until an unpaid call sort of sits there. But they can actually sit there for quite some time uncalled. The downside of a partly paid share is that should there be, or it's, it's a, it is an unpaid amount, and we've talked about company structures before and that the liability of shareholders is limited to the amount paid up or unpaid on the shares. And of course, if the company owes a liability and you owe the company or you've got unpaid shares, you'll be required to contribute that into the company. Likewise, on a sale, you'd be required, you know, your share value is only worth what you've paid up for it. So that's sort of the consideration. But the other thing to think about when you're structuring a partly paid is do you really want them, are they going to have full access to dividends? Does the company constitution allows you to issue partly paid shares? What happens when the company's sold? Are you going to be expected to put the money back in, likely, and then sell them? And therefore, you're only going to get a small amount of return. You're going to have a contribution that's going to come out of your sale because remember, you owe market value at the time. And then what happens if they do go into insolvency and liquidation? You're going to be called to pay up your shares and now they're worth nothing. So there's a few things to think about with that. So I forgot, we have one more to discuss, phantom shares. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. Well, phantom shares are just that. They're phantom. They're not shares. <laughs> so I'm sure a lawyer could give a bit of explanation, but we're not here to give you legal definitions of things. I think of it like a bonus scheme, but it still has an agreement. And the payments are still linked to the share price. So it's a quasi-share scheme without actually giving up any equity. And to you as a business owner, it might have a massive advantage because you aren't diluting your own equity, but you can still incentivize employees to help you boost your share price. 
which an eventual sale is going to be a big windfall for you. And so giving out, you know, a scheme, putting a scheme in place that incentivizes to build what your company is worth could be a massive upside for you. So Ellie, I believe you've got a client for us. Yes. So this is Tech Savvy Biz. They're an Australian private company owned by Fred and Wilma, and the Family Trust owns 100% of the shares in that company. So Fred and Wilma, they employ 15 staff and have two executives. So the chief innovation officer is Betty and the chief financial officer is Barney. If we run through the five key decisions you mentioned earlier that they need to make, um, firstly, who do they want to incentivize? Well, Betty is essential to the business and is key to their success being responsible for progressing their innovative technology. Barney, on the other hand, is a CFO. He's important but relatively new, so they decide Betty's the priority for now and Barney later on. So secondly, the amount of shares that they're willing to issue. Wilmer and Barney are accepting that up to 10% of the shareholding can be held outside of their family. The criteria for issuing those shares is that they're happy to issue Betty shares straight away, but rather put Barney on some form of tenure or CPI criteria, and they're not sure yet. So we're going to be discussing that in our next meeting. So the fourth for how much for? Given that the fast-moving advances made by the business, they'd like to issue shares for a discount to the current market value to Betty. And they're not sure how much, but they feel should be happy to pay something for the shares. And they also expect the value of the company will increase significantly in the future. And the fifth, capital on sale or both dividends and capital. Well, the business hasn't been paying dividends and has the policy that there is reinvestment of the profits back into the business. And as a technology company, they see more value in the eventual sale oh, yeah. of the company. So they're happy to issue ordinary shares, giving access to dividends, if any, and a capital return on the sale of the shares. So based on our understanding, what would we advise Fred and Wilma? Mm, good one. So this is quite typical, I think, of what we see and what we see our private clients coming to us with. So two main options we might talk to them about. One is, well, we can all even talk about are they eligible for a startup concession? And so therefore, if Betty's willing to pay, we might go into an employee share scheme or employee option scheme, and we might then try and apply a startup discount. So therefore, she's got no tax. But remember, that's only 85% of the market value is what she has to pay still. So it depends on what they were thinking she had to pay. And then the question is, is it employee shares or is it options? So look, I think... Given they really don't intend to pay, pay dividends, there's no disadvantage to them issuing Betty with options instead because what the option will do is defer any tax until a later point in time and it can still put some criteria about when they can convert the options into shares. So we structure it with some criteria around you're not going to be able to convert your shares until blah. And when that happens, that's when your taxing point, your deferred taxing point is triggered. And that's when any tax payable occurs. And then what that means is, but it's not going to miss out on dividends anyway along the way, but she's going to be in there if there's a capital sale. So as long as she's got a trigger point that she can get her shares before they exit the business and she's got a good purchase price, then she's going to be on a winning streak with that one. So I'd probably say that in that case, the option scheme could work well. So it's going to appeal to Betty. They don't, she actually then doesn't have to take it and convert it to shares later. She doesn't want to. So she's got choices. The price of the option, like we can fix the amount of shares, the share price now, 
So we might say that, say they're worth, you know, we can use $20 a shares before, but this might not be, maybe it's $20 a share. We can say you're going to pay $25 for the share in three years' time to convert your options into shares. And that she can then make the decision in three years' time. Hopefully they're worth $100 a share. And she goes, man, I get to buy these for $25. That's amazing. And at that point, then any discount, or if there was considered a discount, then she's got no tax payable until then. But again, that's it very specific in the rules about what is the discount and how is that calculated. So what we also do is in the meantime, we're not really diluting our current shareholding, although it's probably not going to matter if we're not paying ourselves dividends. So there's a few things to do that. And an option scheme can actually work well, and that would particularly work well maybe for, even for the CFO, so for Barney, because we don't really want to give him shares just now. We might want to give Betty shares now, which means we might go the option plan for her and see if we can apply any of those concessions tax deferred treatments to her startup tax deferred. Um, we can't apply the thousand dollar discount on the issue of shares because we're only offering it to two people out of 15. So that's off the table right now, but we should look at early startup. And then for Barney, maybe he's just the only one that gets the options. And maybe that trigger point is he's been around for longer and that might help him stay in the business till he meets a tenure requirement as well as maybe some key performance indicator. So I think there's quite a few considerations and what we would do is once you've got the client and they clearly have a firm idea of, or maybe a firm enough idea of what they're trying to do, that's great. Then we can go into the detail and set it out for them and go, here's option A, B, maybe there's an option C. And then they can have a look at which one they like. Then the lawyers go and draft the agreements, share it with the employees, off, make the offers and, and off we go and see what they think of it. So... That, to me, would be a good way to go. But I think the other thing we haven't talked about, Ellie, do you want to run us through? I think there's some admin. There is. And I was just going to raise the question with you, what else do they need to consider from an admin perspective? But I think the one thing to be aware of is that there's both employee and ACO reporting requirements, depending on what's put in place. Um, So these are generally due by 14 July to the employee and 14 August to the ACO. So that is a tight turnaround at the end of the financial year. But yeah, there is quite a lot of admin, but that shouldn't deter employers though. But do make sure that you get upfront advice from both your tax advisor and lawyer, as you were saying, prior to issuing new shares in your company, because it can be super tricky and not something that you should do alone. So you're telling me, Elliot, not giving you shares today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Hopefully we haven't completely bamboozled our listeners, but we never promised we're going to make it simple just so we can try and make it easier to understand. So hopefully we've achieved that and hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston. I'm Ellie Murder. And goodbye for now. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up, tax and business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember, what we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right, and it can also save you a buttload of money too.